You're listening to the King's Church Podcast. Visit us online at kingswisbeach.org.uk. Hello everyone. I'm going to be um, starting our new series on the book of James. So if you have a Bible, please turn there or if you're using the app, book of James. If you haven't brought a Bible and you'd like to follow along in what that zippy pouch that's on your table, you should be able to find a Bible in there as well that you could use. So as I've said, I'm going to be starting um, a new sermon series that will take us up to Christmas um, based on the book of James. We still have a few um, sections on um, Joseph, the Joseph with the the amazing colored coach that we've been looking at his life. So there's a few more of those still to come as well. But we've also got um, this new series called faith that works and that's we're going to be going through the book of James together you can find James in the New Testament Um, it's classified as a letter so you'll find it in amongst the New Testament letters near the back it comes after Hebrews and before 1 Peter now today I'm going to be doing an introduction to James so I'm inclined to say well there you go you found James James this is the church the church this is James there you go I've done my job I've introduced you Not quite. All right. (laughs) So let's start. I'm going to be reading James chapter one, the first chapter. So James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind." That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even when they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. 
Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world quite a lot in there. I'll be unpacking some of that for us today. So who was James and what culture was he living in? I sometimes come on a Sunday evening to our Bulgarian service and it's translated into English for me. Occasionally um, in this process we struggle to find the English equivalent for a word or a phrase. And one evening, Sev, um, the chap who whispers the English translation into my ear, um, told me that we were reading from the book of Joseph. And I thought, Joseph? That's rather strange. A book of the Bible? Is it the same Bible that I've got? I don't think there's a book of Joseph. And this isn't to be confused with the book, the Joseph with the colored coach that we're looking at in the other series and it's not Joseph the father of Jesus and we eventually discovered that in the Bulgarian Bible the book of James is called Joseph and I thought this was very strange until I was preparing for this sermon series we should know that the Bible wasn't originally written in English it wasn't if you think it was, you're wrong. It wasn't written in English, okay? It's been translated into English. And neither was it written in the Western world. It was written in the Middle East thousands of years ago. And in Greek, which the New Testament was written in, we translate, well, the Greek word we translate as James is Iacobus, it starts with an I, um, which then, because they spoke Hebrew at the time, the Hebrew name was Yaakov. And most, the most ancient and the most modern 
translations of the Bible actually render the name as Jacob rather than James. And there are many Jacobs in the New Testament. Two are part of Jesus' inner circle of his disciples. But this letter comes from the Jacob who was Jesus' younger half-brother. And we learn quite a lot about this Jacob, or James. I'm going to be calling him James back again from now on, because that's what we have in our translation. So we learn quite a lot about this particular James through the book of Acts. You see him mentioned, and also in Galatians, you see him being talked about there as well. And after Peter moved on from Jerusalem, you know, the great, the great apostle Peter we hear of, and he goes off church planting. He leaves the church of Jerusalem to go off planting churches elsewhere and spreading the gospel. James rises to prominence in the new Christian church in Jerusalem. So this letter then, it's written to Jewish Christians. And this church in Jerusalem was the first Christian church ever. Other churches grew and sprung up out of that. At the time James was writing, in Jerusalem there were hard times. The Roman oppression had escalated since Jesus' day. It had got much worse. There was famine, poverty, persecution, both from Jews and Romans on the Christian church. And through all these other different places in the Bible and other historical records that aren't the Bible but are written by historians of the time, we can see that James led the church with wisdom and courage until he was murdered. That's how his life came to an end. And in this letter that we're looking at in this series, we have a recording of James's teaching and wisdom. Now, it, it doesn't quite hang together like other books do. But what it does have is it's got strong links to Jesus's teaching, especially the Sermon on the Mount that we can find in Matthew 5 to 7, and also Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, and especially chapters 1 to 9 of Proverbs. He draws heavily on these other books of the Bible. And it doesn't really have a complete narrative, like a, a beginning, a middle, and an end, where you start and it goes through and then has a nice conclusion. Um, it, it's rather separate, smaller chunks of teaching and one-liners that's just been collected together in this document. And it's actually quite reminiscent of the Old Testament wisdom literature that we find in Proverbs and elsewhere. And we're going to be having um, a Bible study about wisdom literature really soon. And just to add to the notices, Verity and I have been discussing, and if you'd prefer to have that Bible study online, instead of in person, like via Zoom or something, because of childcare or whatever else, um, just indicate on the form at the back, you can tick to say whether you'd prefer it in person or online, and we can see what we can do there. So, 
what we're going to be doing in this sermon series of James is we're going to be picking up on these various pockets of teaching and wisdom as we go through. Now, it's addressed to the 12 tribes scattered amongst the nations. So it's not a specific person or a particular church, but it's to all Jewish believers now living outside of Jerusalem. And we could also take this one step further and say he's actually addressing it to all Christians. And that includes us as well. There's a bit of argument as to the date of this letter when it was written. But whenever it was written, it's either the first Christian writing or at least one of the earliest recorded Christian writings known to exist. And it is interesting to see that many of the issues being faced by Christians in those early days of the church, only a few decades after Jesus, there are issues and problems there that we still face in our lives today. Now, chapter one, the one that I've just read, it serves as an introduction to the various themes and topics that are addressed later on in the letter. So I'm not going to focus on all of them today, you'll be pleased to hear, because we're going to be devoting entire sermons to most of them later on in the series. Rather, I've asked the Holy Spirit to guide me and just let's see what he wants to say to us today through this. I want to start at verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But whenever you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is, oh, I haven't copied that properly, but it's a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Now, the first thing I want to address um, is that these sentences go together. Verse 5 says we should ask for wisdom. And verse 6 continues that thought. Now, I've been taught in other Christian circles in years gone by that this verse means, verse 6, and it's usually just this verse that's quoted. They leave the, all the rest out. That verse 6 means whenever you ask God for anything at all, just believe. Don't doubt. Name it and claim it and command your blessing. And in the name of Jesus, like some magic spell, it'll happen. No. And in the Shona language in Zimbabwe, aywa. No. Let's be careful. And wise stewards of God's word, this verse is linked to the one that comes before it. If you lack wisdom, ask God for it. And when you ask for wisdom, because it says it, it's a pronoun. It refers to something that's been mentioned just before. When you ask for wisdom, believe that God will give it to you. Why? Because wisdom is valuable, more valuable than gold and silver, Proverbs tells us. Wisdom gives us the capacity to understand the world in the light of God's word and purposes. 
something that the Holy Spirit's been showing me recently is boiling down faith and Christianity into what is, what is it at its essence? What, what is it? Let's forget the frills, forget the lights and the music. What does loving God look like in the most basic, purest form? My thoughts and Bible reading keep coming back to this. It's about fearing the Lord because this is the beginning of wisdom. And as we fear the Lord, wisdom will grow. And as a result of this, we will obey him in all we think, say, and do. And this is what is pleasing to God. The highest form of worship did you know the highest form of worship is obedience? Not singing good songs. Not standing up and sitting down at the right time. It's obedience. The Bible tells us obedience is better than sacrifice. If we look at 1 Samuel 15, 22, Samuel says to Saul, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices, in other words, your religious ceremonies or acts of worship, your obedience or your obedience to his voice. Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Romans 12 tells us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, and this is our true act of worship. What does this mean? To live for God and to obey him in all we do. That's what it means. This is worship. Obedience. And here in James 1, verse 22 to 25, he backs it up. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. In short, obey God. But we can't obey unless we first have the fear of the Lord implanted deep within us so that our obedience will not be as a result of, of self-effort or striving, but a natural overflow of our desire to show our love and adoration to God. Now, the fear of the Lord, it doesn't mean you need to be scared of God. That's not what it means, okay? It doesn't mean you need to be afraid of God. What it means is that the fear of the Lord is, is to love God so much that we are afraid to be without him. We're talking about holy fear, not the nasty kind of fear we are all too familiar with. We need to cry out and ask God to show us, to reveal to us how 
to fear him. To grow a strong sense of the fear of the Lord within us. Because he is holy. And he is just. It's mentioned a few times. Who's read the Chronicles of Narnia, the children's books by C.S. Lewis? And it's all a, 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 like a, a big metaphor um, of what God has done for us in the world. And he purposefully bases the character of the lion, Aslan, on God. And Lucy, one of the characters, asks Mr. Beaver, she says, about Aslan, she says, is he safe? Safe? said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. And he is the king, I tell you. Let's not forget that God is not tame. He isn't safe. But we can trust and believe that he is good. This understanding should start to draw us closer to a better understanding of what holy fear looks like. And this is the beginning, the Bible tells us, of wisdom. And this brings me back to verse 5, which says, A person is double-minded in all they do. The person who asks for wisdom, but then doesn't believe they'll receive it, is like trying to serve two masters. They're trying to obey both God and the flesh. It's not possible. The lack of wisdom leads to instability and ultimately destruction. Let's come back to James, verses 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, it's our obedience and the fear of the Lord that will keep us close to him in every circumstance. The opening verses of this letter recognize the suffering and persecution many within the early church were suffering. And it lets us know in the 21st century that hardship and trial are part of what it means to be Christian. There are general hardships that are common to all humanity. But then there are also personal difficulties, calamities and circumstances that push us to the limit that if left to our own devices and strength would be enough to break us. And I recall a time when I faced stage four cancer and I know that without Jesus in my life and the Holy Spirit actively at work in my heart, I honestly don't think I would have survived or if I did survive, I would be much more emotionally wounded than I was. When we have faith, it will be tested. Why? To make it stronger. The testing will produce 
perseverance. And as we hold on to Jesus with all we've got, as we face the storms of life together and refuse to disobey him no matter what, this in turn will bring us to maturity in our faith. Obedience no matter what leads to spiritual maturity in Christ. We see Jesus living this out when he went to the cross. He refused to disobey even unto death. And in verse 13 to 15, it says, when we are tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Obedience to God leads us away from temptation. Let's get something clear. Temptation is not sin. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, and we know that he was without sin. Temptation, however, is an invitation to sin. It's up to us whether we act upon it or resist and flee from it. Temptation bubbles up from within ourselves. It's our old nature, our before Jesus, fallen, sinful nature that has come to knock on the window and wants to remind us of how good it was to do those things we used to do that felt so good but were in disobedience to God. Temptation is an opportunity that presents itself and dresses itself up in attractive and seductive clothing, offering us something that seems good and pleasurable, but yet, at its heart, it will lead us to disobey God, and this ultimately will lead us away from God. God is the bringer and giver of life, and when we obey him and live in obedience and in the fear of the Lord, we have life and life in abundance. So to finish, seek wisdom. Seek wisdom. Desire wisdom above all else because it helps us to live life God's way. We should ask God for wisdom and we won't be disappointed. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of this wisdom. We should ask the Holy Spirit to work within us to show us what true holy fear of the Lord looks like and how it will ultimately lead us to freedom. Ask the Holy Spirit to help us to be obedient to God in all his ways and rules. We know these are not to restrict us, but to guide us and to help us to live a life of true freedom. And finally, let us remember that this obedience is what God is looking for. And the only way that we can truly obey is not in our own strength, but through walking so closely with God through the fear of the Lord and the wisdom that this brings. Amen. Let us pray and then we'll have a break for some refreshment.
Jesus, we ask that you be with us as we journey through the book of James. Please open our eyes and our ears to what you're saying, what you're teaching us through this book. Thank you that you desire to give us wisdom. Thank you that when we ask for wisdom, you will give it to us. Lord, help us to know what the fear of the Lord really is so that we can start to understand your wisdom. And Holy Spirit, help us in your power to obey, to obey and follow you in everything we think and say and do. We can't do it without you, Lord. We need you, Holy Spirit. Come and work in us. Amen.